you are ready to take the hard road. The road less travelled. The path in life where the journey is more important than the destination. Then you are in the right place. Prepare to live with vigour. This is the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. And today we will be recounting a story from this weekend that took place. And that was mine and a lifelong friend, Ian Phillips' adventure into doing the Adirondack Classic 90-mile canoe race. And before we kick off, I just want to say two things. One, if there's anything in life you're waiting on doing, go out there, get after it, and do it with everything you have. And two, if you don't want to pay full price for protein and you want to get 20% off your purchase, then use the code NBH20 when you purchase your Mountain Ops supplements and you will get 20% off. Also, along that line of thinking, if you would like some free swag when you order your Maven Optics, use the code NBHGIFT at checkout and they will send you some free Maven swag with your optics and order. So go to mavenbuilt.com or mountainops.com for either of those fine, fabulous products. Without any further shenanigans, on to the show. Ian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me on this fine, I guess we're into fall now. We're into fall. This looks like fall around here. It's a glorious day in upstate New York. It is a glorious day <laughs> in upstate New York, and, please. And thrilled to be here on The Adventurous Gentleman. And let me tell you, I, it's, I hate paying full price for protein stuff, and I love free swag. So yeah, shout out to your sponsors. They kick ass. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, for uh, the reason, just to cut to the reason you're here, the canoe race, 90 miles through the Adirondacks. For those of you who never heard of the 90 miler, what it is, is it's a three day, 90 mile flat water race that follows the original highways of the Adirondacks, which would be the waterways from Old Forge to Saranac Lake. The course is a mix of lakes and rivers, flat water paddling with several carries, which means you're carrying that canoe with you every time it needs to go across land. Especially if you're like us and don't realize they make some form of wheels for these canoes to get across land. I actually did some research. I knew that they made wheels, and I thought, we don't need those damn wheels. (laughs) We didn't. We We, didn't. We'll get to that more later. Yes. But, But to get to the story at hand, Ian, this has kind of been a... I wouldn't say lifelong dream of yours, but I'd say an adulthood dream of yours to complete this canoe race. You've kind of been talking about it ever since high school when you found out about it, and we were lifeguards up in the Adirondacks at some of the state camps. Uh, Why now? Why do this canoe race now? Well, like you said, it... Learning about the Adirondack Classic probably happened, you know, when I was like 18 or 19 and we were lifeguards for the state of New York, which was an amazing experience in its own right. 
But in the fall, you would see people getting out training and you'd hear people talking about it. And in a small mountain town where there's not a lot going on, it's kind of the event of the year. And you'd see the excitement, you'd see people training, and it looked like it would be a lot of fun. And why now? You know, honestly, it's the older you get, it just seems like life gets more complicated. People get married, people have kids. It's the amount of time just seems to disappear. And we're not young bucks anymore. We're we're in our early 30s. I think we're both 33 right now. And it's not like things are going to get any easier at this point. So, you know, when we were younger, we said at some point we need to do this. And this year, I just kind of decided it was like, you know what, maybe this is the year. So I know I sent you a text on maybe New Year's Day and just told you, hey, I'm signing us up. This is the year, 2017. We're going to check this off our list. And Luckily, you're one of my friends that is dumb enough that just goes along with whatever I suggest, and you said, okay. You probably thought I was uh, full of beans, but uh, no, this was the year, so signed us up. Now, was I your first choice, or do you have a lot of dumb friends you asked before me? (laughs) They just weren't dumb enough. Uh, you're, You're one of the many dumb friends that I had. Originally, I was looking into signing us up for a four-person team. Um, but it seemed like the logistics surrounding that were just going to be a nightmare. So luckily it's, uh, we ended up just doing the two person team, which seemed to simplify things. And also you're one of my few friends that I knew, um, was actually in the kind of shape where even if things went terribly wrong, you wouldn't die. So things might be miserable, but I, I knew that we'd be able to get through it somehow. So you signed us up. Is this a process where everyone who signs up gets into this canoe race? I think it really depends on the year and the numbers, but it is very competitive to get into this race. So they do have a cutoff of 250 boats. Um, So we were one of 250 that got in. And so next year, for example, if 300 different teams want to sign up, we actually get ranked higher on the list um, in their like lottery drawing, if you will. I'm not exactly sure how they do it, but I know if you've participated before, then you do get bumped up on the list and get a better chance of getting in again, uh, which is nice. So even though we only made it through once, we already have seniority for next year. I like that. I like that seniority we barely earned. (laughs) Now, for this canoe race, you mentioned it is competitive, a very competitive race. Did you realize it was such a competitive race going into it? You know, I knew that it was competitive, but to be honest... I did not realize how difficult it was going to be. You know, when we were younger, we would go out in canoes and do like a nice leisurely paddle for 20 minutes and everything was fine and good. And guess what? Uh, Canoeing for 20 minutes out while you're fishing or drinking a beer is a lot different than canoeing for 90 miles. And that was something that came very clear to both of us <laughs> about an hour in. And both of us were like, oh, this is good. My arms are tired already. <laughs> so, again, it's I knew that it was going to be a hell of a race. I knew that we could do it. But the harsh reality set in very, very quickly as my back muscles were locking up and my biceps, triceps, and trapezoids were starting to feel the burn about 30 minutes in. Were you, were you feeling a little in over your head? Um, 
You know what? Sure. You know, I, it's maybe not over my head, but definitely the waterline was at my nose where I was barely breathing <laughs> and treading, thinking, treading. oh, shit, if, it, if this gets any tougher, I don't know how we're going to make it through. But again, the waterline stayed right below our nostrils, just tickling our nose hairs. So in this trip, you planned to do it. You had to sign up early, right? Sometime in the winter for this race. Um team of two signups to get in now you must have spent a lot of time now from then to the beginning of the race researching it buying equipment getting for ready for this race tell me about that process of yours yeah that process was really intense and i'm sure for a lot of people they did all those things um for us i i generally manage a bar and just started um opening my own business which is a fun concierge service slash party bus kind of scenario so I've been busy with uh, what some people would call real life, so didn't do tons of training, uh, certainly did not do enough research, and in terms of gear, I kind of assumed that we'd be able to figure out everything we needed to 24 hours in advance, and unfortunately for both of us, things always work out for us, and things never go so wrong that we ever learn a real lesson from it, so we just continue <laughs> to be dummies. <laughs> Very accurate statement. Yeah. That's enough not to really learn a lesson. Uh, so for a three-day race, months in advance to prepare, you gave yourself the 24 hours before the race only to prepare. Well, prepare in terms of buying gear, but again, it's sometimes in life serendipitous things happen or, you know, maybe there there's some kind of guardian angel that gets thrown in the mix. And I think for both of us, stopping into Mountain Man in Old Forge was huge for us because we walked in and basically explained, yeah, we're going to do the 90 mile tomorrow. We need to get some gear. And the nice man behind the counter, his name was Andy, started asking us questions and we I think he soon realized we were ill-equipped idiots. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, yes, because I, I can't remember what he said, but he asked us some technical term like, "Well, which one of you is going to be in the bow?" And we said, "All right, so let's back it up another step. <laughs> we're not entirely sure bow and stern. Let's just clarify and go from there." I said, "We're literally about to go home and ask Jeeves how to paddle a canoe." So, let's start there. So, I guess we can skip the months long of arduous training you did before the race because it sounds like there wasn't any. So let's go right into that. Well, let me just stop you. I, I will say I, I had been doing a lot of running and a lot of swimming and a lot of rowing machine. So zero canoeing. Uh, yeah, no canoeing, no paddling. Um, I live in Lyons, Colorado, and there's really no flat water or any bodies of water that you can get to easily and get a lot of training actually paddling a canoe. So I was trying to do my best to work muscles that I looked up that were going to get used, but still, um, no matter how much swimming, how much running, how much lifting I was doing, it does not make up for sitting in a canoe for eight hours a day. does not. There's it, <laughs> Maybe there is once you figure things out down the line, but at least uh, my short-term experience... Uh, my training did not prepare me for this race. So so we'll skip the training questions and get right to you land 24 hours before the race. Let's walk me through the 24 hours previous to the start of the race. 
Well, I guess it's pretty standard for anyone that's about to go on something that most people would consider like a dangerous journey. But one of the things that stands out for me the most is that uh, when I got to my parents' house, my dad came and picked me up from the airport. And my dad is an amazing guy, always just goes with the flow and, you know, trust that even though I'm a dummy, I'll figure it out somehow. And he has faith in that. And my mother loves me to death, but I think that she's always more concerned. She's a mom. So she started asking me specific questions about, well, what about this? What about this? And again, it's some moms are not satisfied with the answer of, I don't know, mom, we're going to figure it out as we go. And I ended up having to say that to her a lot. And I could see the look of fear and how uncomfortable our lack of planning and knowledge of what the next three days were going to be for us. But, uh, so in that 24 <laughs> hours coming in, what did you know or plan to have to take care of gear-wise or preparation-wise for that race? I definitely made sure that we had enough super glue tape to wrap our hands, that we had enough painkillers, Advil, Tylenol, and for me, mineral ice, icy hot, because I knew that my body was going to feel like hell, and I was going to try to do everything to dumb down those senses. And uh, along with that, a bottle of Tullamore Dew, because sometimes at the end of the day when your body's aching, just having one nightcap definitely helps take the edge off. So that was an intricate part of the uh, equipment that was going into it. So you had a bottle of booze and enough equipment you could fit in your two pockets, it sounds like. Yeah, gummy gels, granola bars, and things like that. All right. So coming into the canoe race, what did you need to get? What What were the halves? Uh, well, we needed to go buy paddles. Paddles. We had some old school paddles. We actually, we didn't have a canoe. There was one sitting in my grandmother's barn I knew of that could fit two people. So we snagged that the morning of, uh, the day before the race. And it came with these really old wooden heavy paddles. And we looked at them and said, carrying this for 90 miles is not going to cut it. And so that's where our trip to Mountain Man came in to get some nicer, lighter weight paddles. So, walk me through your trip, or our trip, I guess, to Mountain Man. Well, again, we touched on it a little bit. We walked in, and uh, the gentleman behind the counter, his name was Andy, started asking us questions about, you know, what kind of gear we were looking for, and we basically said, we have no idea what the hell we're doing, so please help us. We're complete novices. we're just trying to survive and get through this. We know we're not getting any medals or anything, so we just need to survive. And at that point, Andy brought up an excellent point. He said, well, what kind of seats do you guys have? And, and we did said... You, did you know what kind of seat you had in that canoe? Uh, a hard plastic seat. That's all I knew. <laughs> I don't didn't know the name for it. I knew that it was hard and plastic. And Andy said, well, you guys are probably going to want to get some of these padded seat covers because... Do you like sitting? If you'd ever like to sit again, you should probably put some padding on that seat. And I think that was the moment for both of us that helped change the rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would have been a rough 90 miles without those padded seat covers. There's a moment where you're thinking, is this dude trying to upsell me? But then you could see the genuine concern in his eye for your tushy. And you know, you're going to want that padded seat cover. You're going to need that padded seat cover. 
Yeah, and they were $22 a piece, and some people might say $22 for a padded piece of uh, elastic and foam. It's Knowing what I know now, if that damn thing cost $200, I would have thrown it down easily. So they're way undercharging for these seats. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose so. I guess they should gauge the intelligence level of the people they're selling them to. and then... Charge based on that? I think that's discrimination, Ian. <laughs> well, it's in that world i i think it's a wise business choice anyway so andy if you ever listen to this podcast thank you from the bottom of our butts thank you very very much literally saved our asses so we go to the store we buy i think you got a lightweight rain jacket because unlike a nice summer fall day it looked like rain and storms most of the weekend unfortunately for us Because in a canoe, there is nowhere to hide. So we had my camping gear. We had some new paddles now. um, Some chairs, some other stuff. Fire lights, all that stuff. And other than that, it was was a pretty Spartan existence for us as far as everything else goes. We tried to carry and bring the littlest amount we could because we knew two things. One, more weight means more effort. And two we're kind of lazy so when it came to a lot of gear we didn't want to have to have a lot where we were going to be responsible for taking everywhere so we go get all this stuff that brings us we got our canoe we got our paddles we got our gear now it's time for race day 8 a.m registration or 7 a.m whatever rowers meeting paddlers meeting and then Race is going to start around 8, 8.30. Walk me up to your feelings on race morning, your preparation, everything that has to go into that. Well, at that point, it's honestly, I think, naive excitement, you know, not knowing what's coming. I can honestly say I was getting, like, the same kind of adrenaline rush that I got when I was younger, when I was about to be in, like, a big sporting event. Um, So I was excited, you know. And I know the, the more that you experience certain things, the more the harsh reality is there. So it was the excitement of, again, naive optimism of what was about to occur. Um, you know, it's the buzz of the crowd, you know, getting ready. Everyone's amped up and just not knowing what the next three days are going to bring your way. It's uh it's a really unique feeling, and it's exciting, and I think that's why we do crazy things like this in life. It's Those are the moments that are just authentically fun. Um, other than the excitement, I think the one thing that I will say, it was an amazingly organized and well-run event, but for the future, I hope that they have more bathrooms. On morning number one, especially, everyone's loaded up with coffee. Everyone's excited. Everybody has to go to the bathroom. And I know, especially for you, that was an issue. You know, pounded some energy drinks. And as soon as they, you know, get us in the boat before they even blow the starting whistle, Will's sitting in the back of the boat saying, oh, man, I've I've got to take a piss. I held, <laughs> I held that for four lakes, four very long lakes before I got a pee break. So let's go into this little personal history. Why are bathrooms so important to you? <laughs> uh, let's see. 
I think I was 19 years old when I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is a genetic inflammatory bowel disease, which is really sexy and very important to bring up on a first date with uh, with the ladies. Um, but basically, it makes it so you can't live a normal life, per se. And every moment, you're just thinking about where the next bathroom is going to be. So Why, why that, is that? So, in other words, you have to poop often, and when you do, it's not like... Oh, I've got an hour to hold this thing off. It's like I've got maybe two or three minutes to hold this off. Basically, yeah. And I feel incredibly lucky because my my condition is the best that it's been since I was 19 years old. You know, modern medicine is an amazing thing, but still, throughout the time I was diagnosed, all my doctors were saying that it really didn't matter a whole lot what my diet was because I had a genetic disease and it was always going to be there no matter what. And even though I did try modifying my diet, doing certain things, it never really seemed like it made a significant difference. But now I believe it was just because I didn't try doing certain things long enough. You know, I tried going gluten-free for a month at a time, didn't make any difference. I tried, you know, giving up alcohol completely, that didn't make a difference. Um, You know, tried giving up dairy, tried doing all these different things. Um, but again, I might do it for like a month at a time. And when I didn't see a difference, I would just, you know, believe what the doctors said and just go back to the routines and keep trying to pump all the different, very expensive medications into your body and just hope for change. Um, but last year things were so complicated with dealing with insurance companies and getting the drugs that I needed to get, which even with expensive insurance were still costing me thousands upon thousands of dollars a year. I finally just got fed up and said, you know what, I'm going to try to just manage this with diet alone. So I gave up all gluten for probably about six months, and that's how long it took for me to start feeling better. And even though I'd been tested for celiac and other things, just, uh, you know, they always said it wouldn't make a difference. And I threw a Hail Mary, and it just seemed to start working. And now I've been off medications for about a year, and... I can still enjoy a whiskey ginger ale now and again, and life's good. And I was able to do a 90-mile canoe race, which is something I never would have been able to do a couple years ago. No, and that does not not seem like a very convenient condition to have ever, let alone in a 90-mile canoe race out through the wilderness. Yeah, definitely not convenient at all. Uh, Someday I'll write down all the memoirs because I do have some hilarious stories because when the colitis was at its worst, I was living in New York City. So you can imagine the stress and the anxiety of having an hour-and-a-half to two-hour-long subway ride every single morning. It was... uh, it was a nerve-wracking experience, to say the least. But again, it's got it under control, and that was also part of the reason why I said this is the year we're doing this race. I honestly feel like I'd been a prisoner trapped in my own body with limitations you know, for the past 13 years of my life, and I feel like a new man, so getting out there and doing the adventures again. So walk me through this, back to the race. You're sitting in the two-man. You're in the bow of the canoe. You have to pee. I've got to (laughs) pee. I'm in the stern. What is it like sitting on the race line with, say, probably 50 canoes in our heat? Maybe a few less? I don't know. It seems like a lot of canoes in our heat. There was a lot of canoes in our heat. I believe that there was probably 60. Um, I think that's what there was when I was doing the math in my head because I was seeing, like, numbers 190 all the way up to 250. So I think that's accurate. There might have even been more than that because um, 
were Keith and Ian, they were in our they heat. They were in our heat. And they were 187. So that was their canoe number. So there was more than 60. So we're lined up on the race. Right, right. Walk, walk me through the scene. Um, you know, we're out on the starting line with 60-plus boats, and there's there's uh, there's mist on the water. The anticipation is building, and the gentleman calling the start says go, and on your mark, get set, go, and all these boats take off. And the nice, cool, calm lake all of a sudden turned into a goddamn tidal pool. Waves all over the place, and... I know for myself, I was feeling those... Were you expecting that? Were you expecting that change, that rough turbulence? Well, I knew it was going to be rocky, but I didn't know that it would feel like our asses were going to get dumped out so soon. And luckily, uh, it wasn't our asses that got dumped in the water. I do feel terrible, but a couple canoes over from us, there was two ladies that went over in their canoe, and they participated in the 90-miler race for approximately 20 seconds, and their boat got toppled. And that water was so cold and, again, felt not so... Not a sunny, warm morning. It was not a sunny, warm morning. And I everyone felt terrible for those ladies. But, again, there was rescue boats there. They, they were okay. But, you know, their entire weekend of adventure was over in 20 seconds. We had a pretty good plan right in the beginning because we uh, have no clue how to canoe. Uh, still don't have great grasp on canoeing, I'd say. Uh, we didn't know... One end steered the boat. We didn't know proper paddle stroke. We didn't know about weight displacement in the canoe. We knew very, very little when I say we knew very little. And so we thought what we'll do is we'll just kind of go slow, take it easy, and let everyone go ahead of us. Yep, and then we'll just figure it out as we go. That's right. Maybe try to pass (laughs) some people as we get out there. And it worked despite us rowing. Or canoeing and paddling in terrible form, we managed to pass a few people by the first portage, which felt really great. But we thought, oh, there might be a bar open. Maybe we'll stop and get a beer. We'll have plenty of time. We soon realized that would not be the case. We were not moving quick, and it was going to be a long day for us. When we hit that first portage, Ian, or should I back it up? When we were out going across the lakes, was there any time that you felt like, man, I'm starting to feel comfortable in this canoe. We're in this thing. We've got this. Definitely. You know, there were certain points where it felt like um, for a couple stretches at a time where you and I would kind of get in a groove and we would feel like we were going really fast and things would feel good. But then at the same time, you know, you would glance over and you would see a boat of senior citizens just smoking us from behind. And that was something that my brain just couldn't comprehend because, Will, you're a strong guy. I'm in pretty good shape. And for what felt like we were putting so much muscle and energy into something to have, you know, the competition just breezing by us and look like they're having a nice leisurely paddle, having a conversation while we're huffing and puffing. That was something my brain just could not process. And even till the last mile of the race, I still can't process it. But I'm excited to start doing some research for next year and see if we can master it uh, within the next 360-some-odd days. So we're out there. People are passing us left and right. We managed to maybe catch up with a few canoes by the time the first portage comes first portage comes which is where you pick the canoe up and carry it to the next waterway 
it gets pretty hectic. What, what were your thoughts on that first portage? Uh, the first portage, and I'm trying to think exactly how many hours that took us, but I think that that might have taken us maybe two and a half, three hours to get to the first portage. Is that accurate? That sounds pretty accurate. Yeah, and so, again, it's we started carrying the canoe for our first portage, and our first portage was something we, we hadn't really discussed. Again, we figured that we would get on-the-job training, if you will, and figure it out as we go. And in case anyone is wondering, at this point, we still didn't know which end of the canoe was steering the canoe. Nope. Um, so we started carrying the canoe up the road, and... At least for me, this was a moment of comic relief, if you will, because even though I think at this point you and I were realizing the gravity of what we had gotten ourselves into, but we were still able to laugh at the situation of one of the boats in the wave behind us, which started maybe 20 minutes after us. Um, One of the boats had caught up with us, and it was a four-man team, and one of the guys on that team was just screaming at his teammates and bossing them around and you could see the look on everyone's face and here they just started and everyone was miserable and you and I just stood there eating chocolate bars and just kind of laughed for half a second we're just like whoo well well glad glad that's not us that looks like a terrible time I know I took the longest pee of my entire life after that leg of the canoe race I know that for a fact I don't think I've ever had so much built up in me as we're going. So we start the portage, and one thing we realized that is while most of these people could definitely out-paddle us, when it came to actually running with a canoe, we excelled. Right. That is where our brute idiot strength um, actually did us some good, where didn't need to have tons of technique. We just needed to be able to put one foot over in front of the other and keep our canoe up above our heads and keep our asses moving. So at that portage, uh, we actually passed some teams and also caught some teams teams and also got uh, our first chance at having a little pit stop and enjoying some Kit Kats, Rice Krispies, and Gatorade. Yes, some of the great volunteers handing out some candy and some other high-carb drinks and whatnot. And we get to the next waterway. It's the end of... Was it Fourth Lake going into Fifth or Fifth Lake going into Sixth? Fifth Lake was that tiny little pond. So, so Fifth going into Sixth. Fifth into Sixth. And I'm there. We get there. We had passed a few people. I had been eyeing the whole time on the water, on the run. And all of a sudden, Ian looks at me and goes, I think I'm going to go back to the store to use their bathroom. <laughs> That about broke my heart. <laughs> yeah, I could see the look of sheer disappointment on your face at that point. And again, even though my colitis is the best it's ever been, you know, still don't have bowels of steel and uh, all the energy drinks to wake yourself up. And three hours later, it uh, catches up with you. So, and again, so I was a great point. <laughs> I had tried to convince Ian to just go in the woods near where we were. Just go into the woods and go where we are. Don't worry about these volunteers. Don't worry about anyone else. You know, you got a thing. You got to go in and you got to take care of it. And he says, no, I got to. I can't do it here. Too many people. I got to go back and use the bathroom. So I said, all right, I'll just, I'll just wait here with the canoe. So Ian, tell me, how did that trip back to the bathroom go? 
Uh, that last second decision to try to find a bathroom did not go the greatest. Uh, again, it's I've been kind of been holding off, really expecting there to be some portageons or something at this carry because again, it's your three miles or excuse me, like two and a half, three hours into a race. Uh, first thing in the morning, it's most people's body clock is you're gonna have to take a poo. Um, so we'd pass this gas station basically the only public restroom to use in this town and I run back and this other gentleman that we kind of befriended along the way um, his name was Keith he was in a boat 187 Keith and Ian and I saw Keith and he was buying things in the store and I heard him ask he was like hey you know I'm buying stuff can I use your bathroom and I've seen this move a thousand times. They said, oh, we're sorry. The bathroom's broken. So you don't think the bathroom was really broken? I could would bet every money, ounce of money that I have, my mother's life, that that bathroom was working just fine. <laughs> That's just the way it is. So even though I had money in my pocket, at that point I was like, well, perfect. It's I'm not going to waste any time in here. I was going to buy something, but then I needed to use the bathroom. So just turned around and hightailed it back. And again, it's um, after having ulcerative colitis for over 10 years of your life, you basically just get paranoid. Um, so I really didn't even have to use the bathroom that bad. And when I was forced into a situation where it was, okay, hold it, I was able to. But again, it's when your brain has been trained every time I see a bathroom, go use it because you don't know when there will be another one. It almost becomes like a phobia, if you will. But um, but again, things didn't work out. All So basically that little trip, all that did was slow us down about six minutes. <laughs> what felt like, the I will tell you, when you're sitting there watching everyone, you just pass past you, it definitely feels like the longest six minutes of my life. Oh, trust me, that's how I felt every time you stopped to take a pee. It's I was able to sit in the boat and take a power nap in the time it took you to take a leak. No so. way, fastest leaker <laughs> in the world. Fastest wean in the in the west. So we get back in the boat. We're paddling across Six Lake, and all of a sudden, weather starts to turn, and it starts to turn pretty rough. We're going across this lake, and I know I was thinking, I think we could really end up in the water here. What What were your thoughts when the the waves picked up and the winds really started to blow? Uh, that was also my thought, and it was, we were probably the only team in the 90 mile to actually throw our life jackets on, but you know what? Better no safe way. than I sorry. I saw other people go by, and that's <laughs> what gave me the idea to do it. Okay, well, still, it's, uh, safety first, so we actually threw our life jackets on, and, um, <laughs> we got a great picture of us captured, um, probably an hour later in that race, wearing our life jackets, and both of us just look like bloody hell and miserable. But again, that's one of those photos that one of the professionals along the tour took that uh, we purchased at the end, and I'm glad we have it. Cause... Actually, when I when I post this podcast, I'll make sure it's the photo that goes along with this episode so people know what we are talking about. Now, from then, it was it was kind of uneventful other than the multiple carries, which we had to do where Ian and I really learned because they were longer carries we had no effing clue how to put our stuff organized in the canoe and I think at one point we we were just holding shirts in our hands and dropping things and you had your roll of toilet paper and a plastic Ziploc bag and that was in your teeth yep 
uh, we probably looked like an absolute shit show for all of the people standing on the sidelines. I know when we came into one of the checkpoints, one of the guys was just laughing at us hysterically because we were waiting in line. And I think you like dropped a candy bar. And since we wanted to leave no trace, it was, okay, back up. Let's get that candy bar. So we're bending down and picking up one thing. We'd go 10 feet forward. I would drop something. It was like a terrible Abbott and Costello routine or the Three Stooges, only it was two goddamn idiots with a canoe on top of our heads. In the way we carried this canoe, there was luckily my grandparents had uh I don't even know what they're officially called. Two yokes. Like yokes, yeah, yokes, but the yokes also had uh padding for where your shoulders would go. And we looked like he and I would compare it to the two the horse costume that has two people in it and the back person definitely can't see, only in this case because of the canoe, the front person really couldn't see that well either. You could see about maybe 15 feet in front of you, which isn't a whole lot of space when the canoe is still sticking out like six feet in front of you. And the, if there's a team in front of you, their canoe is sticking out six feet behind you. So you don't have a whole lot of wiggle room there to see the back of someone's feet before you're running into the back of their canoe. So <laughs> well, I do a lot of apologizing. <laughs> <laughs> so... So, believe it or not, we did manage to actually pass some teams on the portage, but we probably got passed by a lot more teams that day in our portages. And there's cutoffs in the race where if you don't make it to a certain part of the lake or a portage by a certain time, they pull you and your canoe from the course and you start over the next day. Yep. Um, The first one we made by, I think, a half hour or 45 minutes. Yeah, basically cutting it by the skin of our teeth. And again, it's had well, it we the, the experience of... It was of, that second one that we made by 15 minutes. And that was definitely, when we looked down at the clock and we realized how much time we had, we were like, oh, we better boogie. Yeah, it's uh, at certain points of that day, I think we were kind of being a little bit more leisurely and enjoying the view and enjoying life more and saying, you know what, this is all about the experience. And we kind of forgot that we were in a race for a couple of minutes. And yeah. then as soon as we hit our cutoff time, we realized, oh, wait, we, we're in a race. We, Yeah, <laughs> we're in a race and we need to light a fire under our asses and kick it into high gear once again. So no. re- refocused, put our eyes on the prize and started going at it again. And after that last cutoff, I think Again, one of the most challenging parts of the race for us was going through brown tracked pond. Yeah, I was about to mention that because when I think back to the, that race and that particular day, I, that's one thing that sticks out in my mind as being the hardest part of the entire day. And to explain for people that aren't familiar, brown tracked is, it. I would guess it might be like a mile to a mile and a half, maybe even longer. It might have been like two miles, but very tight winding curves snake, turns, like snake, snake turns very tight and again for two novices in a canoe that are still trying to master the art of which one of us steers <laughs> or is it both of us we don't know no at that uh, point we definitely uh, thought the person i was in front at that point and we definitely thought the person in the front steered and that led to us getting passed by quite a few people 
Yeah, it's anyone we were in front of before. Ninety uh, percent of those people passed us in Brown Tract, and I like to make the joke that we might have been one of the only teams out of two hundred and fifty that accidentally did a three sixty because it was in those tight hairpin turns where we were trying to go fast. We had great intentions, but again, our steering skills were not the greatest, and so we ended up having to do a lot of backing up. Did a three sixty and pulling ourselves out of weeds and mud and just trying to fight through those winding turns. And again, finally got through Brown Tract and it opened us up into Blue Mountain Lake. And no, Racket Lake, right? Oh. Racket Lake, then the Portage, then oh yes, thing, it's. And then Blue Mountain. I think that's when everything went black for me and two hours of time just disappeared and I can't even remember it. So but, you end the first day in Blue Mountain Lake because nothing yes. really happened between Brown Track. And yeah, there, not a whole lot. Just except my back hurt a whole lot. Yeah, your back was on fire, and when we entered Blue Mountain Lake, the sky let loose in just a hellacious, pouring, windy storm. Yep, again. So it was just like entering Sixth Lake several hours earlier, but this time it said, hey, remember that little rainstorm I dropped on your head a few hours ago? Guess what? That was just a tease. Here's the real deal. And it really opened up and started pouring on us. And in the canoe, there's nowhere to hide. No. We're just wearing T-shirts that point some hats. We don't even bother putting our rain gear on because what are we going to do? Keep the wet in? Yep, no, and we knew that we probably had another two hours of paddling left in us, and again, at this point, we're just drenched, and it it certainly ain't warm. It was a tad bit chilly, and tad bit chilly was an understatement, but again, it's it doesn't make sense at that point to stop and try to put gear on because you're already soaked. It's just grin, bear it, and just try to plug through and try to make it through to the end. Which, at this point, I'm going to give a shout-out to First Light and their merino wool products because the t-shirt i had on from them and the pullover even though i was drenched and it was cold out it was still warm which was pretty impressive to me that that you know they say even if the wool gets wet you'll still be warm you don't really believe it until you're out in a canoe and it's cold and you're soaked and somehow still a little bit warm so shout out to them and that fantastic product and getting into blue mountain we're in this storm there's one family. We might have been the only two, or maybe there was about five canoes left behind us, but we're pretty close to dead effing last. And there's a family of four in front of us with the mom, the dad, and the two kids. <laughs> <laughs> and they're a good ways in front of us. But Ian and I decide we're going to catch them. We're going to the catch them. Nice family. That's right. It's us. It's us. It's us and that those cocksuckers in the boat ahead of us and we are going to get them. Yes, we'll kept referring to them in such a vulgar manner. <laughs> Vulgar. I'm, I'm very competitive, let's just say. And this looked like a nice family from the Midwest that probably had just gone and toured Disney World, all got matching fanny packs and just came up to the Adirondacks and, you know, probably said grace before every meal and will's muttering under his breath come on we're gonna beat these cocksuckers just oh jesus i turned into a little bit of a savage when it comes to competition and i decided that even though we were almost last we were gonna beat this nice family into shore we are gonna make that 14 year old girl cry (laughs) so so we did it we had, we had sharked them all the way to the very end, and then with everything we had left in our bodies for that day, we gave it 
everything, and we managed to beat them into that beach. We sure did. (laughs) (laughs) And again, when we pulled up onto the sand, it's, you know, quick backstory. It's when I was younger, I was a very self-conscious man. And for some reason, when you're a young idiot, you don't want your parents around, even when your parents love you. And I was very athletic in high school, and my mom just wanted to come to my events and applaud me and give me support because she's my mom and she loved me. And she came to a basketball game, and there was a fire alarm in the middle of that basketball game. And she, along with everyone else, was exiting the gym, but she didn't notice that there was a three-foot drop-off down to the sidewalk. But she saw me and just wanted to come over and give me a hug and tell me that she loved me. And again, didn't see the three-foot drop and just biffed it. Face-planted off the edge of this thing and fell on her face. And being a young 18-year-old asshole, I pretended like I didn't even know who that klutzy lady was. (laughs) I just let her land on the sidewalk and (laughs) turn my back on her. You're a terrible son. Oh, terrible son. But here I am at the age of 33, and when we were pulling into that beach, there was my mommy standing there with a nice car that was on with the heat on and blankets for us, and I knew that everything was going to be okay. I've never been so happy to see my mom in my entire life than I was in that moment. Now, Ian had planned for us to camp out that night, and in the last few, maybe hour or two of the canoe race, I was steadily working on Ian that that was a terrible idea, and we needed to get a hotel room, because I don't know how many of you have camped in the rain, but it can be tough, and it can be especially tough after you spent over 10 hours (laughs) canoeing 37 miles, or 34 miles, whatever it is for day one, and... When your hands can barely move and your traps are so sore that you can't lift your arms over your head, you start appreciating what a good night good night rest will do for you. So luckily, I was able to convince Ian that this was going to be a good idea for us. True. You know, when Will first mentioned as we're paddling in the rain and it was cold and my back was on fire and locking up every couple of minutes and he said, hey, dude, let's get a hotel tonight. At first, I thought he was joking, and I was like, ha yeah, great joke. Yeah, let's get a hotel. That'll be great. And then when he kept bringing it up every 30 seconds, I knew he was serious. And again, when he, <laughs> I realized he was serious, I said, Will, come on. Like, this is part of the entire experience. You know, we're supposed to be roughing it. If you don't put everything out on the line, how do you know you're going to get a, the most out of this experience that you can? And it reminded me of a Von Chouinard quote in the documentary 180 Degrees South where he says, if you hire a Sherpa to carry your bag and lay a min out on your pillow and kiss you goodnight, then you're an asshole when you start and you're an asshole when you finish because you compromise the process. However, Wilson caught me at a moment of weakness and uh, eventually... He, he's a uh, persistent man and can be very persuasive. And when my back hurt as terrible as it did, as we pulled into the finish line and I tried to get out of the canoe and my legs could hardly support my dumb body, I realized that that might have been the smartest thing that he had ever thought of in his entire life. And, and let me put this to you. I think by the time we had pulled in with our canoe, Almost everyone was gone from the beach. All the stands and everything were taken down. All the tents were down for, you know, whoever kind of sponsors are there, flags, all that's down. Maybe just a few volunteers who are taking the boats and moving them to the start point for the next day. 
So when we came in, it was a pretty desolate site. Pretty pathetic. When Ian had laid sure. that quote on me about compromising the process. I just looked at him and said, well, I ain't no mother having you function hard. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's true. I, I think uh, being a badass should be left to people that are badasses. That's right. I was born an <laughs> asshole, and I'll die an asshole, and I'll be one in between, so what do I care? <laughs> well, and he did bring in a—Will brought up an excellent point. He said, hey, let me ask you a question. How's your back feel right now? And I said, oh, it feels terrible. And he says, how do you think it's going to feel after sleeping on the ground in the rain tonight? I was like, we've got two more days left of this. Why don't we do some badass stuff another day and just get through this? And to be honest, it's I'm glad we stayed in that hotel. So, I felt like an asshole, but I can I can admit that it was probably a good choice because until my body is more hardcore and I can actually do these kind of races, I kind of need to be realistic about my age and what my back can handle at this point. <laughs> so we woke up from that hotel room feeling fresh as daisies and i had I, I still don't have a bit of regret for that decision and day two starts ian and i are in the canoe again another mass start we all take off only today we have learned we had the night before we had youtube how to canoe especially how to steer a canoe so we came in with quite a bit more knowledge than we had started the day before and unlike getting dropped by the total mass group like we did the day before, we were able to stay with that mass group for a pretty long time. And I would say on that day, we ended up finishing maybe somewhere in the middle to middle back. Yeah, I think that's accurate. When we got yeah. there at the end of the day, the flags were still up and everyone was still there and there was a lot more people left to finish. There were. The second day we did so much better. We probably had trimmed like two hours off of our time and the second day wasn't that much shorter um it might have been two miles shorter but again it's we had improved on our technique our form and kind of realized what exactly we needed to do to focus on improving our overall performance so day two was a lot better we were we were we brought much less stuff yeah we we, we trimmed down we cut the baggage in dead weight we passed a lot more people on portages than we had the previous day. Very few people managed to pass us, um, and and honestly, that it was kind of an it was a little bit of an uneventful day. I don't want to bore people, but I mean, canoeing for eight hours steadily while it's you know when you're in there, it's exciting to be in the race. But you know, we took we were doing much better than the day before. We were, you know, the really the only interesting thing I want to point out about day two is that. You know, just kind of the fatigue that your body feels over time. You know, like you said, we got a great night's rest. We woke up feeling good in a nice dry hotel room. I had just basically bathed myself in mineral ice and stretched out. So I felt pretty good. But after, you know, six hours in a canoe, it's my back kept locking up again, which is just sometimes, you know, you have to realize what you can do with the machinery that you have. So I felt... I felt bad because I was slowing us down a little bit, but also on day two, I remember you mentioning that your your legs and your calves were kind of hurting you because the day before, 
you had actually spent more time in the front of the canoe where your legs were stuffed underneath you a little bit. Yeah, it was, it was a little more cramped. I say as a whole, I felt physically very good. Yeah. The most frustrating for, thing for me, I think, is that we had no technique. And so while everyone had these short, nice race-looking strokes, we were taking what would be considered long stride strokes, basically as long and as deep as we could, which were probably very ineffective compared to what everyone else was doing. Right. In my head, I would call it a power stroke, if you will, where we're trying to put as much power and muscle into every single single paddle. But again, I'm sure if you were to analyze this, (laughs) it was probably my muscle fighting your muscle. So we were working against each other the entire time and probably having half the speed that we could have had if we knew what the hell we were doing. Very accurate. So day two, we get in, we finish. It starts raining again somewhere along the way, dries out again, sun comes out, and it looks like it's going to rain throughout the night a little bit. I turn to Ian and I try to lay on the best. We need to get a hotel room again. But Ian would not be wavered. He has decided that tonight we will camp and camp we did. So we camp, and the rain starts coming near night. A shout-out to the guys who do own uh, Mountain Man Outdoor Supply. They were next to us. You know, a bunch of them were doing the race. They had a great camp and crew there, and they were nice enough to share some of their food with us and their fire and just really nice people. Uh, And so night comes. Can I give a quick shout-out to a potential sponsor, Tullamore Dew Whiskey, that helped make that relationship possible. That's right. <laughs> so thank you to Tullamore Dew. And night comes, we ended up eating some Mountain House we had brought, and turns out that Mountain House gets along with ulcerative colitis about as well as gasoline gets along with a fire. Or a cat enjoys a nice bath, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) So, in that night, what would have been a very relaxing night in a hotel turned into a very unrelaxing night for the two of us in a tent, which I can only imagine smelled... It was horrendous, to sum it up. Somewhat like a construction site, port john (laughs) And (laughs) the tent starts getting soaking wet. We're starting to get wet in the tent. And it, it was it reeks, it, of farts. it reeks of farts, and it was also a nightmare scenario because you put two large dummies in a tent together. I couldn't fall asleep because Will was snoring, and then finally I would get exhausted from listening to him snore, and I would fall asleep, and then he would wake up because I was snoring so loud, and then I don't think I actually fell asleep for more than a couple minutes at a time because at 3 a.m. I was still up and I was miserable and I was angry and I was having to go to the bathroom and I had heartburn from our Mexican rice chicken stuff in a bag that was spicy. And it was it was just, again, not nearly as an enjoyable evening as our night in a cushy hotel. So we make it through the night nonetheless. Break down camp. We're up in the morning ready to go. We decide... We're going to eat just a little bit so that we don't have to make any unexpected stops on the last day because we really want to give it all we have. We get to the the start line. Again, another mass start. This time, instead of being in the middle of the pack, we're towards the front, and we're trading some, uh, what's it called? We're trading some uh, Kevlar with some carbon, hitting other boats. You know, it's we're all heading for this one tunnel. It was like tossing some elbows, but instead yeah. of elbows, it was the front of Winona canoes were bouncing back and <laughs> forth, if you will. 
And uh, there was a giant wave that basically tossed the front of our boat, I would say, almost completely sideways. So almost 90 degree angle. And again, this was something that couldn't be avoided because the other boats next to us got tossed as well. Uh, but we got yelled at by a group from behind us. But again, a it's very serious racers taking everything very seriously, very seriously. We decided that maybe they should have been in a different class since they could not competitive <laughs> class. We were in the open class. For yes. Open class wondering. trying to survive and trying to keep our boat upright class. That's the way I saw it. So that was Honestly, the only moment in the entire race I was frustrated with another team, and I almost told a, a couple of middle-aged gentlemen where to stick it, but <laughs> I held back because <laughs> that wouldn't be polite. So we're canoeing along, canoeing along about midway through the race. Came what would only be the only almost disagreement Ian and I would have this whole trip other than whether we should stay in a hotel the night before, and that is when I see one of these war canoes, which is an eight-man canoe go into what I perceive to be a shortcut. And I tell Ian, Ian, we got to follow that. But Ian had a habit to sometimes not pay attention as other pretty canoes would go by. (laughs) And he wouldn't spend much time looking forward as he would looking sideways. So Ian proceeds to start telling me there's no way we're going to go in there. It's just rocks. We're going to smash into rocks. And so I say, Ian, just trust me on this. It's a shortcut. We need to go through that. What were you thinking when I was trying to convince you to get into that shortcut? Well, and again, it's Will and I have been friends since the fifth grade. So when Will Bradley says, just trust me, it's very hard to put 100% of your trust into something. And again, at that moment, I was not distracted by any pretty boats going by. But when you're watching 99% of the other canoes and kayaks taking a certain route, that's what I was watching. And I was analyzing that and also trying to look out for rocks and other things so all of a sudden the man from behind me when he says no don't go that way where all the other boats are going go into this mysterious mist over here i think it's a shortcut just trust me i start having flashbacks of all the other shitty circumstances we've had in our lives together where he says it's okay just trust me and things did not necessarily turn out wonderful so i say Will, I don't think that's a good idea, dude. I did not see any boats go there. And Will just kept saying, come on, dude, no, trust me, I saw it. Yes, yes, go this way. And finally, I just basically in my head said, you know what, screw it, fine, let's crash this goddamn boat into some rocks. And that'll prove my point that I'm right. (laughs) So we go exactly where I said to go, and we cut off a shit ton of people and get ahead of them. Go into this portage past more people and a few more uh, bodies of water a few more portages leads us to the last stretch of the race and we are giving it we have one mile to go out of 20 something miles that day and Ian and I are giving it everything we have and there's three canoes we know of that are in our class right ahead of us about maybe 500 yards away when we start our push and we start to catch one and another but we just could not catch these last two. And as we get into the finish, I don't think I have ever just been as zapped as energy and effort as I had at that finish line. Yeah, the last mile of the race was very intense, especially when what we thought was the last mile of the race became the last mile and a half. (laughs) But that's, you know, that's what happens. And sometimes that's a good thing because 
you know, throughout the entire race, we kept saying, like, you know what, this race is kind of a metaphor for life in a lot of ways. You know, you lay everything out of the line, on the line, you expect a, something certain to happen, and then guess what? Either the rules change or it doesn't pan out the way you want it, and you need to adjust and just keep knuckling down and bearing through it anyway. And that's exactly what happened. That last mile where... Someone said, you've got one more mile, boys, one more mile. And we saw what we were so sure was going to be the finish line. And we muscled all the way up to that point. We came around the turn, and there was no finish line in sight. And it just became basically a, probably another mile again or mile and a half. But it was a lot longer in that canoe than I expected to be muscling through. But when we did finally see the finish, like Will said, it was, you know, it's – as he said, he'd never been that exhausted, and I felt the same way. It was just head down, and with every single stroke, we were like buffaloes on ice skates, just trying to put as much muscle as we could into it because at that point we knew we were not going to master technique or grace or beauty, so we just had to use our brute force and try to get through to the finish. Just blunt force trauma. Yep, and if we do this race again next year and it's just Wilson and myself, I think that's what our team name will be. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, as soon as we crossed that line, though, I also felt a great sense of accomplishment for what we had done in making it through the race and sticking with it, like you say, not giving up and just knuckling down. And when you'd said, I didn't expect anyone to be there for me at the finish line. We were just hoping your dad would be there to give us a ride. And you said, oh, look, your family. I looked up, and there was my wife and my son and my sister. It was one of the best feelings in the world for them to be there, to just witness us us finish that race, us accomplish what we had set out to do. Yeah, and, you know, without sounding too cheesy, like that, and that was an awesome moment for you, you know, and that was really cool to be surprised. And, you know, I was stoked to see them as well because I love Will's family. And as soon as we stagger our exhausted asses out of the boat and walk up, um, I think it was Will's sister said, we were starting to get worried. We saw a bunch of senior citizens finish like hours ago, and we kept waiting for you. So that was nice. <laughs> it was. It was. But we got it done. We had a great time, Ian. Thank you very much for getting me into this race and getting me to do this. I think we're either going to try to put together a four-man or run a two-man team again for next year if anyone's interested. Just Google 90-miler Adirondack Classic or something like that. You'll find it. Um, have any questions, you can find Ian on Facebook. He currently resides in... Lions, Colorado. Lions, Colorado. That's right. You can find him there at Pizza Bar 66. Yup, I general manage Pizza Bar 66, and I now operate the Bragging Ass Fun Concierge Service. And if you would like to sponsor our team for next year, keep in mind, we're not winning any gold medals for first place, but we'll always get best we'll get sportsmen. Yes. yes, we will get you recognition. Yes, best sportsmen and great attitude and overall the team that's having the most goddamn fun. That's I can correct. guarantee you that. That is correct. So, Ian, any parting thoughts or words of wisdom for the listeners out there? Yeah, you know, honestly, I can say that for me, even going into this race, I knew I was going to get a lot out of it. It wasn't just a physical challenge. And I kept kind of saying this race was a metaphor for life in a lot of ways, and it really was. And when you force yourself through something like that, you start realizing so many different 
different aspects of your life and where you want it to go. And for me, that's the most of what I wanted to get out of it. And just a few key things, you know, be humble. Because even if you think that, you know, you're in a great place, you're in great shape or whatever, there's always going to be someone that can do it better. And even when you are trying your hardest, someone will still be better. And you know what? That's okay. Because you're still going to get something out of it. And you know what? That guy at our first portage that was yelling at his teammates, he's a much better canoeer than we are, but he's an asshole. So who really cares? Because everything that you do, it's not just a canoe race. It's not just a deadlift or it's not just a bench press. What is your scorecard in life at the end of the day? Because that's really what it's all about. We didn't win any gold trophies. And we didn't have, you know, a team of cheerleaders cheering for us. We had a bunch of strangers, my mom and dad, your wife and your son and your sister. But sometimes that's really all you need. And at the end of the day, when we finally crossed that line, I was so goddamn happy just to have said, you know what, we said we would do this and we did. And that's what I got out of the Adirondack Classic. And I look forward to doing it again because I'm sure the lessons I learned next year are going to be just as strong as the things I got out of this year. On that note, this has been the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. Please like it, share it, uh, subscribe to it wherever you are. Uh, check out our fine partners, Mountain Ops. Go to mountainops.com. Use the code MBH20 for 20% off your purchase. Or go to mavenbuilt.com. Enter the coupon code NBHGIFT at checkout for some free Maven swag. Thank you all very much for listening. I hope you go out there and you chase down and conquer and achieve your dreams and goals in life. Till the next one, get out there and just have an adventure. Cheers to all you adventurous gentlemen.